Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting. G'day, Karen, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> how are you? You might not believe this, but I'm almost sure this is number 82. Oh, I like number 82. That's a good number for me. They could also be misinformation, and Sophie may tell us that's untrue very shortly, but I thought it was number 82. So <laughs> this week we've had a lot of really good feedback on our playlist, can I just say, and Belinda Spong, thank you very much for commenting on Nutbush City Limits and Kim's Choice. She won't get another choice after that. But you're creating a new list, I understand. Oh, I think I need to. I've got to do something that uh, is fun, right? So I reckon the next playlist, top of my list at the moment, Andrew, and I think it even extends beyond lockdown, is I Want to Break Free by Queen. <laughs> that is, I think that's my life now. So, yeah. I have oh, played in the car before, pumped it up really loud. People were just walking past with kids in the car, and I think they just give me that knowing look. So, yeah. Yeah, I do the same with Gypsy King's Hotel California, but I'm probably the only person who likes it. Highway to Hell from Jeanette, thank you. Well, look, we're going to give that over to Satiri, who has the best playlists, and uh, Karen will be in charge of circulating it. Fairly solid week. As you know, mandatory vaccinations hit us pretty hard this week. We've got some really interesting things. The new orders, Order 2 for the workers' direction came out, and Order 7 for specified facilities came out, and that doesn't change a lot, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But what we are finding, which is probably very concerning is that there's a number of social media sites that are sending out letters that employees can send to employers and now there is some advocates who are seeking to cream money out of these vulnerable people who are resisting or objecting to vaccination and setting up advocacy groups, all of whom are saying trying to seek information and frustrate and obfuscate the process that in fact a mandatory order doesn't require safety, doesn't require consultation, you just have to do it. So can I just say, for those people who are receiving those letters, don't engage. Stay with what Kim and her team have been saying to you about it being a mandated process and do not engage in the lengthy letters which are designed to frustrate and damage your organisation, which are now up to four to five pages. We follow the websites that they're on. I wish I could close them down. But nonetheless, we've now got about 100 of those emails come through and they all have exactly the same theme of spruiking law or appearing legal and being just an absolute crock, okay? So don't respond to them. Well, that's my little warning for the start of the week. I thought I would talk a little bit about vaccination mandate, and the reason there's two reasons I want to talk about it. These two orders came through overnight, um, which is the worker direction number two. That really just redefines what a worker is not to include 12-year-olds and talks about in education facilities certain things, it has no impact on any of you who are listening, okay? Similarly, Order 7, which is about specified facilities, does more or less the same thing. Very small changes, moves towards medical practitioner from medical physician because they have a different meaning. Again, Matt and Kim will have out today and will come out to all of you a release as to what those changes mean, but they're almost nothing. But what is really significant this week is Rid's case came out where the High Court rejected an academic who complained about James Cook University. They gave him a warning and then he breached all the confidentiality obligations and said some fairly foolish things afterwards. And as a result of which his employment was terminated for breaching the code of conduct. And he said, because the contract provided, as all academic contracts do, intellectual freedom, that it breached his intellectual freedom. 
and the same barrister who did Flower and a number of other people put up together sort of were party to a crowdsourcing to try and fight this case around these sort of neoliberal ideas of freedom of speech, okay? I just want to be clear, there is no constitutional freedom of speech, okay? That is an absolute nonsense. Under the Human Rights Charter, there are limited rights that are protected in Victoria. And again, on Wednesday, Matt's producing an article that talks about freedom of speech so we can cut this down. The reason I'm talking about it, this is one of the issues that is being raised by people who are strongly opposed to vaccination but are starting to say and do horrendous things and saying they're lawfully allowed to do it because of this, this freedom. And I don't often do parenthesis, but because of this freedom they say that exists. And it is horseshit. There is no such freedom. And, in fact, it breaches the Code of Conduct. And what happened in Ritt's case is the High Court said, look, the Code of Conduct identified what is good behaviour and it also identified what is bad behaviour. And when Ridd participated in doing bad behaviour, he fundamentally breached his contract of employment because he breached a policy and procedure or a code of conduct about what is good behaviour in an organisation. So I guess our new high court is a black letter high court. Okay, In other words, if you've got good contracts, if you've got good codes of conduct, you have very significant protections. None of us want to stop people from saying, having a piece of, having a point of view. Okay. But when that point of view is designed to not act in the best interest of the organisation to harm it, which is a common law duty that exists, you are right to say to someone, stop it. And if they persist in saying and doing it and seek to damage the organisation or people in the organisation, remember, we're here to protect all employees. We're here to protect the organisation. And it is unlawful to do that. So great case. And I said, by Wednesday, close of business, we'll have an article so that when the, you hear people saying, I have freedom of speech, we can hold up our middle finger and say, no, you don't. You um, have the right to behave appropriately and respectfully and courteously to your employer and employees. You don't have the right to behave disrespectfully, rudely and seek to damage. Now, there's a whole lot of people who are hesitant about vaccination. There's people who have strongly held views. Totally respect that. There's nothing wrong with that. Where it runs into the mandatory orders, then there are repercussions for that. We've talked about that. But where someone who has an opposing view, political, whatever it is, religious, and they do something which seeks to harm or hurt another person or organisation in which they're employed, be very clear that's the place of the code of conduct. And I guess what Karen and I are saying to you is this is the time to revisit and be clear about what good looks like in your organisation. Not to try and stop people doing things, but to be clear about what is good. Yep. And, Andrew, adding to that, because you put that so well, <laughs> is that when we're talking, we're seeing this issue come out in the form of really just uh, inappropriate conversations, poor behaviour, and I'm talking about online as well, so people's personal social media accounts. So it's getting a little bit, it, it seems like it's getting a bit blurry about what's acceptable and what's not, when what we're saying is that from a work perspective, it's actually quite simple and it's quite clear and the law is very clear about that as well, so not to get caught up in that. So, yeah, the Code of Conduct is an incredibly powerful resource and tool that should not just, it was always relevant, but if anything, it reinforces how important it is now and it's a great time to make sure that you refresh it um, and use it. And take it out and tell people. Yeah, absolutely. Before the fights start, say to people, good looks like this. And if you do this, that's not good. And that has... That's what it's about. Yeah, we're not talking about, this is not, the Code of Conduct isn't about 
you know, your views or about vaccination or whatever it is. This is just about good behaviour and this is what not is, you know, what poor behaviour looks like. So that's what this, what you and I are talking about right now. But anyway. Yeah, we better move on anyway. So that's really where we are with COVID and that's really the code of conduct issue, which we'll come back to in drugs and alcohol. Uh, Grantham and New South Wales trains is is a great case. It's not law-breaking, you know, and we're not getting brand-new law from it. It's a case where a health and safety representative was going through performance management. He raised valid issues during the, during the performance management discussion, which his supervisor ignored, didn't respond to, and made that HSR feel that he wasn't heard. He then raised an issue with his supervisor a few days later around the wellbeing survey and the importance of it to him And again, immediately felt the disengagement, disinterest. And in that moment, he raged, used the F word, wasn't threatening, but was angry and obviously angry. And he was sacked. Actually, nobody talked to him. Nobody listened. He was contrite about it, but nobody heard that contrition because nobody spoke to him. They just stuck an independent investigator and found that he said those things and then terminated his employment. And the court said that lengthy process, which he was subjected to, was totally unacceptable. And remember, four, Karen, four months, four months yeah. for four minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. How often do we say investigations must be quick? Why? Because the damage done to this guy was completely unreasonable. Secondly, if you provoke behaviour from somebody, it doesn't sit in your mouth to complain about their response. And the court thought it was just alarming, actually, that a person had offered, you know, had raised such legitimate issues and been ignored, not responded to, and in fact felt belittled by. And then they became angry that he responded angrily at them. So he was reinstated, he was back paid, and all his time was reaccrued. The importance of this case is really simple. You know, like there's two parts that are important. One is as employers, we listen to people. Like it's a fundamental rule. When I'm, if Karen's managing my performance and she raised an issue, she must listen to what I have to say because that's actually how we grow, that's how we maintain our relationship. I might be wrong about what I'm saying, but I need to feel like I'm. He was not wrong and was not hurt <laughs> uh, and eventually did. So good case in that. The second part of the thing is, please, when you investigate, do it immediately. But always talk to someone who has an outburst as they calm down and say, look, we're going to have to deal with this behaviour. Because the court said the behaviour must be dealt with. It's bad behaviour. Is there anything you want to say before we move along this process? And the short answer is, if they had spoken to me, he would have made the admissions so there was no need for an investigation. And he would have said, I'm sorry. And therefore, they would have had a remorseful soul who wanted to fix it and they would have learned from it. They would have saved themselves all the investigation time, all the dislocation of the business, and they would have dealt with someone respectively. Dumb move, New South Wales trains. All right. The next case, short case, is Blenner's Transport and Dowling, which was a trucking company which owned a truck and they used the labour hire driver to drive it. The labour hire driver looked at his phone, knew he wasn't meant to do it, wasn't fatigued. He complied with the fatigue management system that was set in place by Blenners. Truck was severely damaged, and they brought an action against the labour hire driver to recover the cost of the damage. Interesting, isn't it? And they were successful. Mm-hmm. Karen, there's some pretty good lessons in that, isn't it? Yep, absolutely, because a couple of lessons. One, for the labour hire agency, that the processes that you have in place to engage the right person for the job in terms of the suitability, skills and experience, that's one part of it. But the induction processes, the training that you have in place, being able to just demonstrate that you've compliant, you've done everything that you can with that's within your control, comes out really clearly for this one, Andrew, that if you do the right thing, 
stuff like this, you can protect your business. So here we've got the host not liable at all for the damage done by the labour hire driver. Nobody sought to join the labour hire employer. So it was just the employee who was held liable. Everybody was doing the right thing. The person who did the wrong thing was the labour hire employee. Now, not a good thing to have a crash, but not a bad place to end up. Okay. All right, let's get into drug and alcohols, which is our sort of general conversation. I guess the things that I want to say very briefly before I throw to Karen is this. Drug and alcohol testing have standards around how you do it. Got a drug and alcohol policy, follow the standards on how to actually do the testing. Have the skilled people doing it, because if you don't and you end up in court, you will fail. There is a reverse onus that sits under serious misconduct in Regulation 107, which says if you terminate someone for being affected by alcohol, you have the onus of proof to demonstrate they were. And if you can't get the evidence in because the testing process was unlawful, then you lose. Okay, so that's the first thing I just want to raise. Second thing is I want people to understand that in any work-related function, it is work for the purposes of occupational health and safety, workers' compensation and discrimination law. That means the responsibility of supervisors and managers present is that of a supervisor and manager in during normal working hours, okay? And that's it for me because I've chewed up too much time ranting about vaccination. Karen, over to you and safe. Can we have um, Karen's slide up and Karen can explain so, look, provided we all get to, to come together um, at the end of year, see our colleagues again and, and celebrate and close off the year, um, if we're having functions, I'd like to encourage you all to have a think about what are you going to do in the lead-up, not to just that event itself, but in terms of getting together in any kind of work setting where alcohol is involved. And people so, are going to cut loose, Karen. They will. I mean, people, yeah. like, they're just waiting to be able to get together so they may oh. go harder. <laughs> people might go harder than they they planned or intended to. So they, we know that that's in itself is a hazard and is a risk that we need to manage, Andrew. So that's my serious tone there. Okay, <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Good, good. All right. So with that, educating employees, and I say employees in terms of general staff but also managers as well. You touched on that briefly earlier, Andrew, around their responsibilities to supervise around what the expectations are, policies, rules, and with that, consequences. Now, I don't mean just pull out your drug and alcohol policy or your sexual harassment policy at the same time right before the event. I'm talking about your overall, what does good look like, okay? Because bad behaviour or unacceptable and unprofessional behaviour can look like many different things and may not even involve drugs or alcohol for that matter, but they can come out during these events or at work. So, that's a good time, code of conduct. We spoke about that earlier and the importance of that. Yeah. Preparing in terms of being really thoughtful around... No, but I just say education is not emailing a copy of the policy and saying, please acknowledge receipt. That's not education, okay? No. To be very clear. Yeah, that's good. So in terms of considering where you're going and, and what you're doing, being thoughtful around that, so in terms of licensed places and uh, with people who are trained and qualified to, to do the right thing. We talked about managers and supervisors earlier. One really easy practical thing is in terms of defining when work is. So we're saying this is out of hours. What, when is that function? When does it start? When does it end? And having a protocol around, look, you know, if it finishes at 10 p.m., you know at 9 p.m. that you've got to start wrapping up the night. What is it that you're going to do in terms of cutting off drinks, you know, putting in tea, coffee, whatever. So think about these things because if you don't, you'll actually end up dealing with it on the night and, you know, you should have... Karen, I think you've got to remind people that if a supervisor or manager leaves that event with with their credit card and pays for drinks for people afterwards, work extends. 
So all the liability and risk at work extends. So mm. supervisors and managers must know they do not take people out after an event. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's a really obvious thing but that people don't think about sometimes is around stuff substitution. So in terms of making it, doesn't functions don't necessarily have to have alcohol. It doesn't always make available non-alcoholic drinks or beverages. And in terms of levelling that out rather than being you're just a Coke or an orange juice, yeah? So think more broadly around substituting your choices there. But in terms of think about in terms of safe transport for people, act on inappropriate incidents or um, complaints um, or things that you see, even if no one's made a complaint. And overall, look at this as a, a well-being and a health and well-being piece around how is it that we ensure that we support employees generally, particularly if there is a concern around alcohol dependency or issues for that matter. So that's me, Andrew, not just for end-of-year events, but more generally. So hopefully that's and helpful. You're going to leave the bit about managing down the bottom, taxis, getting them home. Yeah, yeah, that's managing. I think I mentioned that one okay, there. Very good. Yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah, please make sure people get home safe. That's one of the things in all Christmas functions is everyone forgets that you actually can't get a taxi at 10.30 at night in the middle of the city. So people just go out and keep drinking. That's 35 years of me doing this. I can tell you it's what happens. All right, let's move on, okay? And we're going to go on to the case study now. Karen's going to read the case study, and this is deliberately designed on the basis that Karen often doesn't read the case study before she comes on, so I deliberately write things that make it hard for her. Yeah, thanks so much, Andrew. Okay, so Davis Ogilvy, is that right? Ogilvy. Ogilvy, thank you. And Gordon, so I'll just call it Dog, was a tax advisory law firm who acted for large wealthy Australians seeking to avoid paying tax and fighting with the ATO. Butch Davis was the managing principal and head of tax controversy at Dog. Nice one, Andrew. He was a muscular, testosterone-driven litigator, loved by his clients for his bullish behaviour and at times lewd vernacular. His part of the practice was not for the faint-hearted. Angeline Dashen was a senior associate in Butch's team. She presented as meek, compliant and self-conscious. One day, Butch was chatting to a well-known political power broker and publisher when Butch excused himself from the conversation, turned to Angeline with a broad misogynistic grin and shouted at her, get us a drink, Angeline. Can't you see we're dying with thirst? Angeline quietly reminded Butch that fetching unspecified drinks at his demand was not her job. She continued to explain that she had raised it with both Butch and HR before, that it was not appropriate to shout orders like this and added that he wouldn't do it to the men in the team. Butch became red with anger. The publisher laughed and Butch screamed, just do what you're told, cut the complaints and no bloody back chat. Angeline turned around in front of the client and said, go with yourself, Butch, before walking out. The next day, Angeline received a show cause letter as to why her employment should be terminated, as it should be not be terminated. Not be terminated. Yeah. yeah, good. Okay, let's go to the poll. Do you like that, Karen? Yeah, sure. I think you liked it a lot more than I did, Andrew, but anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I just know that you never read it before you come on, so it's irresistible. No, that's not true. I do. I do. Just very quickly. <laughs> I boasted to Sophie as I was doing it, actually. <laughs> You're just going to, like, um, expose my, uh, yeah, all my, uh, what is it, the issues that I have with pronouncing certain certain yeah, words all, and names. All in there, misogynist was one for you. I got oh, that. Yeah. Well, so long as I'm not saying, what is it, asparagus, as asparagus, then I think I'm okay. I'm not Okay, I'll bad. put asparagus in next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, what down. is it? So. Chandelier? Chandelier? 
<laughs> God, you keep giving me these ones. They're all going to be in next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I'm going to share the results. Very, very good. All right. So was Angeline's conduct serious misconduct? So let's talk about what is serious misconduct for, for start. We go to Section 12. This is for award-based people, obviously, or award or national employment standard type of people. Section 12, which pushes off to Regulation 107, we go to Regulation 107 and it says behaviour, which would be fundamentally in breach of the contract, which goes to safety, which goes to health, which goes to brand. It probably is serious misconduct, but it doesn't fall neatly under it. And the reason it doesn't fall neatly under it is this is really a common law concept of how people should behave and her conduct probably or undoubtedly would breach what is the code of conduct. So it would be serious misconduct as defined by the organisation. So I think the fact that we got a real mixture is very, very good, okay? So I don't think there's a proper answer to that question. The next one is, was there a valid reason to terminate? Boy, is this a trick question. I'm sorry about this. Valid reason doesn't mean you have that it is serious misconduct. Valid reason just simply means that was the behaviour and the nature of the behaviour occurred a proper basis for proceeding to consider the next thing, three things, was it harsh, unreasonable, unjust? And the answer here is there was a valid reason, okay? If someone is rude to you, it's valid. You come back to them and say, well, is it unjust? Is it against the law to do it? Did I take into consideration something that's unlawful? doesn't go there. We're going to question three here pretty quickly. Is it unreasonable is where we land here? Not harsh because harsh looks at a different thing. And what unreasonable looks at is, well, what is the conduct of the organisation as a whole? And this is where this one falls over because we've got an organisation that condones bad behaviour, that allows Butch to be abrasive, rude, to be involved in lewd vernacular, which was a word I just stuck in for Karen vernacular as well, just so you know. No, I got that right there, Andrew. I know. You hit it so well. It really no. disappointed me. I thought, I thought I had you there for a while in vernacular. So the answer is it wouldn't be reasonable. And her response, although unacceptable, just like in the case that we talked about earlier, Grantham, warrants somebody saying to you, don't speak like that. There is no, it is certainly not serious misconduct here because it is not reasonable to terminate it. So it was valid but not reasonable. Was Butcher's behaviour adverse action? What did people say about this? Yeah, look, I reckon it is. There's a lot of people who agree with me because part of it is driven by a complaint that she's made. So she's raised a complaint. And it is also behaviour in the manner in which he's dealing, which is breaching her lawful part. So, yes, it is adverse action. And if she was terminated, she'd have a really good show at it. The next question is, was Butcher's behaviour a breach of safety law? Let's see how we're going with answers. Nearly everyone said yes. So let's just talk about what is the safety law obligations of Butch. Butch is an officer of the organisation, okay? So that's something we need to remember right from the word go. So he is the organisation to this effect. So did his was his behaviour hazardous? Unquestionably, his behaviour was hazardous. Now, remember, we've got two sorts of behaviour. In the adverse action, we've got the sexist behaviour, okay? So we've got the discriminatory behaviour as a woman and we've got the fact that she's raised a complaint. So is there a hazard in his behaviour? Yes, there is. What's the level of risk in his behaviour towards a young woman of the description we had? I would have thought it's reasonably significant. What do you think, Karen? I agree. So we've got high risk behaviour. What are the controls? 
and resources the organisation to deal with that, well, the person who is uniquely able to control those risks and to resource it is Butch. So it is not a safe place of work and therefore it is a primary duty breach. Can we just extend it a little bit just as a fact, okay, because I just want to test this a little bit more. What happens if Butch's behaviour at this time, you know, she said those words, but it really damaged her and she became so distressed by it and distracted that she was going down the steps and she fell and injured herself terribly because she was so distracted. So she suffered a serious injury. And for the next thing, we'll also talk maybe it killed her. But for the moment, it's just she suffered a serious injury. Is that reckless endangerment? So is he so so we have a risk of serious injury, behaving like that to a person is that risk, as we've talked about it being a high risk. We have a serious injury. So all we have to show is that the organisation and the officer in this case, or another employee, was absolutely careless to that risk. Now, if we accept that Butch does this sort of behaviour all the time, this once-off would never get you to reckless endangerment. Does that make sense? But if we've got this consistent behaviour by a person in the organisation, the answer is yes, it would. And just to finish it off for industrial manslaughter, same repetitive behaviour over a long period of time, certainly bullying, okay? Certainly from a leader of organisation that prevents anyone else from stopping. So you've got primary duty breach, the first part of reckless endangerment, You've got being told it's hurting, being asked to stop it, not doing it. You've got gross negligence. And if, in this case, the young girl died, Angeline, you'd have industrial manslaughter. And even if she died walking across the road leaving work or she self-harmed or hurt herself in some way, it caused that because industrial manslaughter goes outside of workplace. He could be charged with industrial manslaughter. So I just... I wanted to play that out a little bit further to show that the types of behaviour which we tolerate every day from people are actually very serious and their impact on people is very profound. And the last part, if Angeline broke down after this incident needed psychiatric support, could it be a compensable workers' compensation crime? And you got 100% right. Yes, it could be. So, look, that's an interesting problem for today, wasn't it? And it shows the risks of condemnation, of allowing someone to behave in a particular way, but it also draws out what are the major effects? Now, in the one minute we have left, I just want to remind you, we will send you a list with next week of the issues that we've dealt with as large topics this year where we've had the most feedback. And for the four weeks before we start, which I think is the first week in February, might be the second week, um, Sophie will fix that up for you, we're going to run half an hour sessions, dedicated sessions on the issues that are most important to you. So we'll need your vote and we really encourage you to vote so we get that right. In the meantime, if you've got anything on mandatory vaccination, please send Kim a note and she'll respond to you straight away. She's currently dealing with around about 20 or 30 matters and the whole team are doing. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, team. And have a really good day. See you later. Thanks, everyone. Bye now.